What is going on everyone and welcome to Zed Talks where we have brief talks leading to big breakthroughs. My name is Zora, a college student who's walked into a very chaotic phase of her life full of uncertainty, a bit of anxiety, but ultimately good times as undergrad comes to a close. If you're listening to me right now, that means you're here for the ride as well. So grab your headphones, grab a snack, something to drink. Like always, I have icy orange and enjoy. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Zed Talks. As always, we are in for the season finale of season one. Yes, you're my season. (laughs) (laughs) So glad to have you all here. Today, we are joined by Mrs. Tanya Sweat, um, who has been a special person in my life since high school, um, but she is also a former Prince George's County Executive Candidate. And we'll talk a little bit more about your campaign uh, your campaign um, as we go on. But how are you doing today? I'm good. Look, it's Saturday. Um, I'm tired physically. It's been a long week, but I'm up. I'm awake. I've had my coffee. So life is good. And you're here with me. <laughs> and you're here with me. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> all right so today's episode we are going to be talking about our beloved county the gorgeous prince george's county um and we're going to talk a bit about surrounding areas too but i really like i we talked about earlier i really wanted to have this type of conversation because you know the idea of people being interested in local and um state government isn't necessarily something that they it's people tend to overlook it um and it's yeah. honestly it's not the most important government level that they need to focus on so we're just going to hop right into it um i believe it was about a year ago and correct me if i'm wrong it might have been two years ago but charles county took the number one spot as the wealthiest black county in the u.s and for those who previously know our our county prince george's county was the one who had that number one spot so i wanted to ask you um given your your background do you think this is a matter of people leaving prince george's county or are people not making as much much money as they used to with you know the cost of living rising and everything like that people are leaving the county um that the 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 declaration change happened late fall of last year and in all of the studies i've looked at where they or the data that they used to make this declaration what has happened is that the upper echelon of income earners in prince george's county moved to charles county and so it's, it's, it's a factor of money. Those who can afford to leave environments that they're, where they're not happy do just that. They leave. Um, and I'll tell you, it's part and parcel to what we're seeing, not just in Prince George's County, but in the state of Maryland as well, especially among our seniors. Because, yes, it is expensive to live here in Maryland as a state. And those who can afford to leave, they leave because they don't want to pay those high costs just to live here, especially in retirement. So what is it about Charles County specifically that people are gravitating to? Um, for the working class families, those who relocated, it boils down to three big factors. One is it's more economical to live in Charles County. The cost of housing is lower. The tax rate is lower. And for many of them who are still commuting back and forth into the district or other places to work, when they basically judge the cost of commuting versus the cost of living, they're willing to pay the additional cost, whether it's time, gas money, car maintenance, whatever the case may be, they're willing to pay that additional cost to commute a little bit longer 
so that it's cheaper to live when they're at home. And then the second factor had to do with services. There are a lot of families who've relocated to Charles County who've said they just didn't feel like they were getting the services they expected to get for the property taxes they were paying in Prince George's County. And then the third thing, crime has gone up. And there are people who feel like it's safer to live in Charles County than it is to live in Prince George's County. So those were the the three biggest indicators or influences that caused people to relocate. Okay, so I wanted to, you talked about services. Um, How do you think Prince George's gets that number one spot back? We got to improve what local government, believe it or not, provides for its citizens. Um, You'll hear our elected officials talk a lot about the fact that Prince George's County has a very limited budget. And that is true. Prince George's County gets about, I would say, eh, a little less than $2.5 billion or so from real estate taxes. Um, Overall, you'll hear people talk about the county's budget being about $5 billion dollars. You have to understand half of that budget is basically reserved, if you will, for our school system. And so the bulk of the money that is considered or reported as revenue in the county is locked in to take care of Prince George's County Public Schools. So the other half of the county's budget is left to to address public safety, county roads, social services, Um, parks and recreations and so and then you still got to pay your county employees too so all that's in there and so the budget is very limited when you look just at the the revenue right now and the strongest revenue base in this county unfortunately is real estate taxes in order for prince george's county to address that barrier if you will We would either have to go back and amend the tax code in the county, which is going to be difficult because that would require a vote of the citizens. And there is really not a desire within the electorate right now to change that tax code. Or the county's got to come up with other revenue streams. And the focus, for reasons I don't quite understand. The focus right now in Prince George's County is to continue building more building more real estate. And what you have to understand is, while you hear the experts say, there's a housing shortage, maybe, maybe not. Um, the more houses you build, the greater burden you put on your local government. Because for every $1 the government gets, in real estate taxes, I guesstimate, this is just me spitballing, I haven't really analyzed the numbers, but just a a quick look at the numbers will tell you, for every $1 you collect in revenue on real estate taxes, the county is gonna spend $3 to take care of the people who live in that house. So it's like 50 steps forward, 70 steps back. Yes, yes. So building houses is not the answer. Because as we build houses, guess what? Now we got more traffic. And we have a lot of narrow roads in Prince George's County. I'm not talking about the state highways or the federal highways that come through the county. I'm talking about your neighborhood streets. 
period, because those are the county's responsibility. And because Prince George's County was primarily rural, there's a lot of farmland. We just basically took tractor paths from generations ago and paved them. So we have these narrow roads and now we got construction traffic going back and forth, building these houses. And even when the construction traffic leaves, you got on average 2.5 cars to every house that you build. So those cars are going back and forth. You bring children into the community. Guess what? Now we got school buses going up and down the streets. This ain't working. It ain't working. And you bring in more children, we got to educate them. And we're not increasing the restricted $2.6 billion school budget. We, we haven't increased that very much at all over the last few years. But we keep bringing in more children who are going to rely upon our public school system. And while there, the data says, census data says we have about 235,000 or so children under the age of 18, school age. And the school system has about half of those. It's sad that the other half of those children now have to rely upon private schooling. And we only have so many private school slots. So what are we doing? And we're not building new schools. Mm -hmm. We're rebuilding schools. We're merging old schools into larger schools, but we're not adding to the inventory of public schools. So we're not creating new seats for the new families that we're inviting by building new housing. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? That's that's the, the cyclical problem with relying only on real estate taxes to grow revenue. It's never going to be enough. And at the end of the day, the only people who make money off of building new houses are the builders and the developers. Yeah. Wow. I didn't Oh, okay. That was you asked the question, baby. You wanted to get into this head. You gave me the answer I was looking for. I'm not <laughs> mad at it. I'm not mad at it at all. Okay, so I wanted to talk about, we were talking about um, people living here and cost of living and budgeting. So mm -hmm. there's been news about, like, you know, the FBI headquarters moving into, or potentially Prince George's right. being the new home of the FBI headquarters. So, yes. and talking about the cost of living, what does moving the FBI headquarters to Prince George's County do to the area? Ooh, that brings in another stream of income. Okay. Because when the federal government places one of its office buildings in a community, several things happen. Um, one, if the government doesn't buy the land to build the building, it's going to do a long-term lease. It's like renting. Yes, the federal government does rent from its citizens. So now we're talking rental income that's coming into the county. The government is not necessary. The government does not pay taxes. Okay. So scratch that off your head. <laughs> so even if they buy the land, they're not paying real estate taxes. You're never going to get tax dollars on property the government owns. So you're either going to get rental income, potentially, depending upon who owns the land. The land can be leased from a private citizen, or it could be leased from the local jurisdiction. Then you're also bringing into the community workers who in many cases don't live in your community. So they're adding now to your sales tax base because when they come to work, 
They got to buy lunch. They got to buy gas. They get incidentals while they're at work that introduces revenue into the economy of the local government that you ordinarily wouldn't have. The other thing that you get in addition to rental income from the federal government is the federal government recognizes there is a burden to a community when it brings its business into that local community. So there are appropriations that come from the federal government to offset the increased burden on the local community. So all of that's coming in to help the process of supporting the local community where the government agency is going to sit. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why you see such a competitive market right now between Maryland and Virginia for the FBI headquarters, because it's a boost to the economy in that local community. It's a boost to the economy in the state. Additionally, private citizens are going to benefit. You bring that government building into your community, housing prices go up. Housing values go up. So now you're talking about residential income tax, uh, residential property taxes going up. So it, 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 it's a positive thing all the way around. Um, I'll use, for example, the District of Columbia. It's not a state, it's a local jurisdiction, but it's federally managed. What happened during COVID when the government shut down? A lot of people didn't go to work. And many of you might remember Mayor Bowser got on the news, did a press conference, and basically was begging the federal government to bring workers back to work. Yeah. Because anybody who knows anything about the district, you understand the population of the District of Columbia may be 400,000 people at night. But during the day, the population doubles because of all the workers who commute into the district. And so they're shopping at the local restaurants buying lunch. They're shopping at the stores when they're on their lunch break. So they're buying clothing and other things in the district. All that was lost during COVID because everything was closed and it hurt DC's economy. And so that's why you saw that public outcry from the district saying, bring people back to work because they needed the money. It's the same thing, but in a very smaller, a, a seriously smaller scale when you talk about the FBI headquarters. That reminds Same thing me is going to happen. Yeah, that reminds me a lot about um, when I was at school, because, you know, College Park is, University of Maryland is College Park. And right. so when we were away at school, like those businesses weren't getting the same money that they were getting. Yep. And so a lot of them were just like, yo, what are, what are we doing? What are we doing? Exactly. So, okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to ask you because you know this information because of your background and, you know, because you do, you need to do some research with it. So in terms of like county information and being able to access that information, do you have any idea on how we can make county-related news more accessible to residents? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, state law, the Maryland Public Information Act requests, or I'm sorry, the Maryland Public Information Act <laughs> requires all governments from the state government down to, to counties and local municipalities to make their records available to the public. Now, the federal government equivalent to that, you'll hear people talk about FOIA or the Freedom of Information Act. Mm -hmm. Similar law, but not the exact same thing. Very similar though. Um, most jurisdictions 
want to make it easy for their residents and the public at large, the media, students doing research, um, to find that information. So they'll put it on a website. Because if it's not just openly available to you, it's still public information that should be available and easy to get. And the, the Maryland Public Information Act allows you to request it. Anybody, you don't have to be a citizen of Maryland. You don't have to be a resident. Anybody can send in a request for government data and get a response back. Um, and so to avoid getting millions of requests a year, you just put it on a website somewhere. Technology is sometimes your friend. Just put it on a website or put it in a library. Maryland does have an archives in Annapolis where you can go find records from hundreds of years back. And you literally walk in off the street, show your ID, and, and they don't ID you for the purpose of making sure you live in Maryland. It's a government building, so everybody got your ID. Show your ID, they let you in. You can go rummaging through the archives and find whatever you need to, just like you would go to your public library. The problem in Prince George's County is it's not always easy to find what you're looking for. Yeah. And even if you find a location to get the information, the information you want is not always there. Prince George's County does have what they call an open data website. It's not the same thing as mypgc.us or .gov. It's not the same thing as the Prince George's County government website. It's an open data website. Most people doesn't, they don't even know it exists. So I'm yeah. telling you, it exists. Okay. Put in your, when you go to Google, just say Prince George's County open data. Keyword open data. And you'll find that in your search list. And you can go there and find a whole host of information about what's happening in the government. You can download uh, statistics. Most of it, unfortunately, is statistics. What I would love to see happen in Prince George's County is we have a setup more like the state of Maryland, where not only do you get statistics, you can get the records. And that's one of the things that Prince George's County is just not good about publishing. Our county council is really good with their archives. You can go back and find county council resolutions for years in the county council's section of the government, open government website. Mm -hmm. but our executive branch is not as good. Yeah. And those records are also available for public review at your leisure when you need to. Um, so it would be nice to see that open data website better developed so that you get copies of county council, county executive orders. And I said executive once, because technically it's the county executives, executive orders, but I hate being duplicative. <laughs> it would be nice to be able to go back and get copies of those orders from years past or get copies of proclamations that have been issued for um, our citizens so you can research and see the wonderful things that people have done. But that's not readily available on the website. It would be nice to, to go in and, and get easy access to information that's not protected. Like for instance, if you go to the housing authority, It'd be nice to go in and see which management companies or which apartment complexes got the benefit of the emergency rental assistance program. They tell you on that page how many dollars they've spent. I don't know who got the money. 
And so for me as an attorney, that's a pain in the butt because now I've got to call the management company and say, well, why didn't my, my client get any money? I don't even know how much money a management company gets in that emergency rental assistance program. And it's not about releasing people's names and addresses because that's protected. That's private data that the government can't publish. But there's public information that we have access that we should have access to because we have a right to know and it's not available. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I know this because I'm always looking for it. And there are people who know my name because I'll call and ask the question. Uh, <laughs> our court system has done a better job at publishing uh, public records from the court system online. You still can't go in and like the federal court system. You can literally go online and see the pleadings in a case. That's not necessarily publicly available in Maryland to everybody, but you can go in and find out whether somebody has a case pending or they have a closed case or they've ever been sued, where they were sued. You can search by name. If you know the case number, you can put the case number and get some limited information about the case. Um, but the general public does not have the access to data that you would find on the federal government side of things. And, and that's frustrating. And I know it's frustrating for researchers. So I think that's something we can improve on. I hope we do at some point in the future. Um, but that that's kind of where we are with it. Yeah. And I ask that because like, obviously we have an election coming up very, very soon. Um, and a paper that I wrote in last last semester or it was fall semester, it was just highlighting voter ignorance and just like how we, you know, it kind of doesn't, you can vote, but if you don't know what you're voting for, it, it doesn't really hold any weight to it. So going on yeah. in that note, um, we are in, it seems like a new age of politicians and there's a lot going on, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to Maryland. So for those of you who didn't know, Michaela Wilkes, who is running, I believe this is her second or third, um, but I believe she is running again for um, Congressman Hoyer's seat um, in the House of Representatives. And then this kind of, I mean, this kind of ties into Prince George's now, but we have Senator Ben Cardin, who's also leaving um, after serving in the Senate for a very long time. Um, and our mm -hmm. account executive, Angela Alsobrooks, is running for his seat. So, Mrs. Sweat, I wanted to ask you, so I you know, with your experience being um, a county executive candidate, what does this mean for you and your future in politics? <laughs> Is that okay to ask? Yes, it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask. Um, I, I'm, I'm making no secret. If the opportunity becomes available um, and there is a special election held for county executive, yes, I am going to run again. Um, but right now, because uh, I, I don't do anything without my family's concurrence. So Absolutely. I have no problems in saying my family has agreed to go through the trauma of it all again for a special election. Uh, I cannot promise anybody that I'm going to sit here for another three years uh, to run in a regular cycle. Uh, but yeah, if there's a special election, I am going to run again. Okay. And can I talk about or can I ask you a bit about your campaign? Um, what do you think was the hardest thing running on a local um a local state level or a local um government level like in terms of campaign what was your your hardest thing for me and this is specific to me because this doesn't apply to everybody the hardest thing for me was introducing myself to the world yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
definitely see that. Because um, when you're not a person who's in the public spotlight and you don't seek that out to now step out in the spotlight, people go, who are you? Yeah. Why do I even care you here? Mm-hmm. Um, and people have a bad habit. We as a people have a bad habit of assuming things about people just by how they look or the accent that they have when they speak. Um, and so literally for me, it was an introductory period. And I knew going into this, I couldn't just rely upon my time as a PTA president. Cause guess what? That's a small community of people in Prince George's County. I couldn't rely upon my work even at the state level in the PTA or rely upon what I had done as an attorney because I, I hadn't touched enough people. Uh, Prince George's County is almost a million strong uh, and it's 500 square miles. And I live in the southernmost point of the county. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My yeah. house is my house is literally 35 miles from the northernmost point yeah. of the county. That's a lot of ground to have to cover. Uh, but I was determined to do it simply because I thought it was important. Um, and and for those in in interested in running on the local level that's always going to be your biggest challenge because we get accustomed to, oh, this person worked in the state's attorney's office or this person worked in the county executive's office or this person worked for the county council. And so they may not necessarily have name recognition, but you've seen them moving around throughout the county because they've attached themselves to other elected officials and have shown up with those elected officials. And so they can they can then draw on those relationships. Well, I work for County Executive uh, Ike Gordine, or I work for County Executive Wayne Curry, or I work for uh, County Executive Paris Glendening. You don't know the person, but you know the name that they just called. And so, hey, if you work for Paris, good enough for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. Um, I never worked in Annapolis in the House of Delegates. Uh, I hadn't worked, you know, in the county even because I worked for the federal government (laughs) until I stepped out and opened my private practice here in my consulting firm here in Prince George's County. So that was my biggest challenge. And so for anybody interested in running for local government, the biggest thing you have to do is put yourself out there in the public eye as soon as you feel comfortable doing it. So people get to at least know your face, even if they don't know your name. I'll be honest with you. I almost hate popular elections. And I use that phrase for a purpose um, because we're not good at doing research and investigation on the people we elect in office. So it becomes a popularity contest. And so... Um, I I don't judge people's reasons for wanting to run for office. Uh, But what I will say is you got to get out there and be willing to share your track record so people know what you do, have done, and what you can do. Um, And then you got to be realistic with yourself because even after 
becoming, I jokingly say I'm now infamous. Uh, <laughs> even after gaining the notoriety, you still got to be prepared to explain to people what your platform is, yeah. what you plan to do, what your vision is for your office or administration or local government should you get elected because we want to know why you yeah. how are you going to make things better thank you for that thank you for that I, like i said definitely making sure people are doing the right research and making sure people are informed is something i hold very dear to my heart and i'm not we, when we talk about this stuff we're never saying that you have to be in love with politics we're never right. saying that. Like, we're not saying, oh, because you have to do this, you have to be the next president of the United States, you know? Right. But, you know, it's just our due diligence as citizens to just make sure that we are holding ourselves accountable and just knowing what's going on. Because then we'll have situations like what's going on in Florida just happening under our nose. But in the long term, you know, even the Supreme Court, we see these things that we might not be knowing what's going on, but they've been planning for this for years. Years. So, And, and the, the other thing I'll tell you, especially to the young listeners in the audience um you're absolutely right zora there are people who plan this stuff they plan their lives out for years in advance and so they know the track to follow the path to follow um i thought at one point in my life i wanted to be a supreme court justice <laughs> i'm not gonna lie I'm so proud of, of my sister on the court right now because <laughs> back in the day, I was going to be the first black woman on the Supreme Court. That was me in my 20s when I was young, dumb, and stupid. But then I learned the tracks to lead to that destination. And that necessarily didn't align with where my life was headed. And so it was like, hmm nice dream but it's not realistic and and then i got to a point in my life where i said like, i'm okay i don't have to do that you know i'm good i'm comfortable with it <laughs> um and and i say that because we talk about politics and when it comes to politics believe it or not i come from first lady michelle obama's school of thinking Y'all know what she said. So I'm not going to repeat it. But I understood, I understood 100% what she was talking about when she made the statement. I am not a politician. I acknowledge that because I ran for office, I've been placed in that category. Because that's just how people see the electoral process. And so... The first thing I want everyone to understand is politics is about our political parties in this country. And we generally only focus on two, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. But we got the Libertarian Party, we got the Green Party. I mean, parties come up every day, okay? I understand there's a new party under development as we speak. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's politics. And when you start talking about politics, what I will tell you is you can't get away from it no matter where you are in life. There's office politics, there's school politics, there's even politics at home, believe it or not. That has nothing to do with governing. Nothing to do with governing. 
politics and in politics, what you will learn is who you know will get you there. So that's why you have people latching on to others who have notoriety, visibility, fame, because who you know will get you there. The problem with governing is if you're not a public servant, if you're not a servant leader, you cannot be successful because now you got to step to the other side of that cliche. It's what you know that will keep you there. And so you got to have the skills to govern. So when you talk about this new age of politics, I have to agree with another lady in, out in the public eye, and some people don't like her, but former Congresswoman Liz Cheney said something that rang so true to me a few weeks ago. And what she says was, we have now entered a space in politics in this country where we tend not to elect the most qualified and most intelligent people to serve in our government. And when she said that, I went, wow, powerful and so true. And that's because we focus more on the politics of it all. And like you said, we don't pay attention to local government. And that's where the rubber meets the road because it's the local government that takes care of the people, not the federal government. Mm -hmm. The money is passed down to the local government to execute the policies that may be set at the federal level. And when local government fails the people, that's when you feel the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I think that's, that's great. Um, that's a, wow. I'm kind of left speechless on that one. Um, Miss Sweat, as always, it is such an honor to have you, to talk to you, to just be in your presence. Cause you know, I love, I love you real bad. I love you real, real bad. <laughs> um, and you know, you always going to be my baby. I know you're 21 going on 22, but you always going to be my baby. <laughs> but I absolutely thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Like I told you, you were the reason why I started this podcast when you brought me <laughs> over your campaign. I genuinely left that and I was just like, oh my God, I had so much fun doing that. I was like, I'm gonna start my podcast. So <laughs> you, I just thank you so much for being here, speaking with me today, for inspiring me to do this. And, you know, just everything that you've done, you know, for the community, for me, I just really wanted to appreciate that. And I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to talk about this. You know, let some people know the insides and outs of it. Um, and thank you for identifying the difference between governing and politics. That was something that I wasn't even aware of. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming on. And I appreciate you so, so much. You're so quite much. welcome. Look, I appreciate you. And I have to tell you, you have no idea. I, if I could steal you from your parents, I would. But I know your mom will probably beat me with a stick if I tried. I am so proud of you, Zora. Just, I mean, literally, for those who don't know, I call Zora my baby because I was her PTA president at Oxford High School. And so my kids used to say, Ma, how many brothers and sisters do I really have? Because I literally adopted 1,300 kids while I was the PTA president. And I always, every time I see you all out, my babies, because that's how I think of you. But to watch you, grow and mature and develop and just find your voice 
you have no idea. And I'm going to choke up, forgive me, but you have no idea how proud of you I am. Because when I hear older people in the community say, oh my God, our kids, what's going on with our kids? And I go, it's not all of our children. Because I think about you. And I think about the class of 2020 from Oxford. No, I'm a crybaby. Yes. Baby. And what you and what you all went through and what you what you literally powered your way through. And I'm looking at you now, going, we're gonna be okay. It breaks my heart that we're gonna lose a lot of kids along the way because they're out here gangbanging and jacking cars and robbing stores. And, and that those are the children now that I'm chasing after. Because I know your class, y'all got y'all gonna be fine. Y'all okay? And and I'm just excited about the day when I can retire, really retire, and pass the baton and say, "Go with it. You got this. You got this." So I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And you know, you always got access to me, no matter what. You know how to find me. You know how to get to me. Um, if you need me. If you want to know the deal, call me. I'll get on your podcast anytime and fill you in. No matter what happens in my future, political or not, I'm here for you, baby. But you got this, girl. You got this. So you, look, do the damn thing and let me enjoy watching. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, you all, I'm not going to hold y'all up any longer. As always, thank y'all so much for coming on to the podcast. Like I just said, thank you to Ms. Swat for being on the podcast Season one, that is a wrap for season one. I can't believe it's been about a year since I started doing this. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but I wanted to just say thank you all so much for the support, the, you know, the, I know it's been a little bumpy road with me in the podcast, but the ongoing support, the ongoing love, sharing it with your friends. I so appreciate it. So thank you all so much. We won't be gone for a while, maybe two weeks, just so I'm getting adjusted to school again. But thank you all so much as always. And I'll see you all in season two.